Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 67. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And today we're going to be talking about the movie Margin Call and Value at Risk. Okay, what are we doing here? Well, someone had an interesting suggestion for a podcast episode, and they said, uh, they asked me, did, have I watched the movie Margin Call? And I'll, I'll talk about that. It's actually a, a really good movie and um, talks about some of the aspects of kind of risk management and, you know, you get into the whole mortgage-backed securities and things like that. They don't overtly say that, um, but that's kind of what they're they're alluding to. But they asked me, they said, you know, the whole premise, uh, there's this scene where these these two junior, junior analysts um, and another, another person, um, they're talking about sort of risk management through something called VAR or value at risk. And so I thought I would sort of simplify that and just also talk about the movie, you know, in general. If you haven't seen it, uh, I think, you know, it should be streaming somewhere. I think it's running on HBO right now. And I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2011-ish um, or something like that. But, um, you know, it's got an unbelievable cast. In fact, uh, in one of the IMBD reviews, so if you want to see an acting clinic, uh, watch this movie. And it's got people like Jeremy Irons, Stanley Tucci, uh, Simon Baker, Paul Bettany, Demi Moore, Kevin Spacey, and then uh, Zachary Quinto. Um, you know, and that name might not uh, seem as familiar, but if you see the person, you'll kind of be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And uh, uh, Penn Badgley, who... Uh, plays one of the junior analysts, and again, another guy. If uh, if you see if you see the movie, and the movie takes place, I mean, I think it's essentially over a twenty four hour period, and it's supposed to be a uh, an investment bank located in New York City, and you know, one of the things that it, it is two thousand eleven, by the way, and one of the things that they're following is, and so the movie, if you haven't seen the movie. I'll be honest with you, you should probably watch it and then, you know, pause this here and then come back because um, it really is a good movie. I was just looking. So HBO, it's on right now. You can also rent it. And I know a lot of people are looking for good movies to watch. Um, this one was a little bit under the radar. In fact, I was reading somewhere. I'm not sure if they did direct to, to rental or if it actually came out with the movies. I don't remember this being out in the movies. I think I saw it. I don't remember how I saw it, but uh, I remember watching it and thinking it was really, really good. And it basically follows an investment banking firm through about a you know a twenty four hour period. And it's you know it's dialogue, it's uh, it's really well acted. But essentially, what they're doing is um, they are um, following so. Basically, and I'm gonna. Here's where the spoilers begin, right? So, if, if you haven't watched it, so Kevin Spacey is in charge of a trading floor. Paul Bettany um, is one of the the traders, and then uh, Stanley Tucci was. It seems like some sort of you know head of risk management or something like that. And you got these these junior guys that are in there, and then Demi Moore is uh, kind of upstairs, one of the executives. It's one of those movies where if you see the cast, you're like, oh yeah, I know who those people are. But it starts out where um, Stanley Tucci's character, Eric Dale, he gets laid off. They're doing these cuts. And so anybody, you know, 
as they're doing layoffs, they give them a box and they say, collect your things. They have a security guard. But he hands a, a USB drive to one of the junior analysts on the way out. And he says something like, you know, be careful. And then he, uh, uh, you might remember, he, he explains he was working on something and he hadn't quite finished it. And he gave it to the junior analyst and said, you know, see what you can do. And of course, it turns out, I think the junior analyst is, you know, uh, apparently he went to some Ivy League school. Essentially, he was a rocket scientist, but thought the money was better coming to Wall Street. And so what he does is he goes and he, he looks at these models. He's looking at these, these risk models and he apparently completes it. And when he does, he calls, uh, you know, now his boss and one of the other junior guys and says, hey, you know, you got to come back here. And he starts to look at it. And there's the scene where um, he basically says what this guy, Eric Dale, Stanley Tucci's character, was looking at was historical patterns, historical risk metrics. And he was using what's called a, a value at risk. And so value at risk, um, essentially, let's look at it this way. It's a measure to say it, it looks at what's happened in the past. And if you just wanted to do a plain vanilla one, not including any sort of um, you know, assumptions that somebody would add to it, uh, or include, you know, volatility or anything like that. But um, basically what it does, imagine if you ran, let's say you had 100 years worth of returns. Okay, we'll do this easy on a, on a annual basis. And you said, let's, let's sort these and let's sort them um, in inverse order. So you think about a long strategy where you're long and if the markets go down, you lose money. So we'll sort these um, from one to a hundred, and the first result is the worst year. That's the the highest down year, and then the one hundredth result is the highest up year. Okay, and so if you only had a hundred results, you know, and you would you would say, okay, five um, percent of the time, I would expect to lose less than the fifth from the top one. Remember, the top is the most down year. The fifth is the fifth worst year. And so that's also called, uh, when you do a value at risk or a VAR, you do them at, at different confidence levels. And so let's, let's imagine that uh, you, know, you run these numbers and for a 95% confidence, you say, okay, 95% um, of the time I should lose less than X. So let's say it, you're running some numbers and the fifth worst drawdown is negative 21%, you would say, okay, you have a 95% confidence level or 95% of the time, your, res your results in a year will be greater than negative 21. And you would also say, you know, 5% of the time, then you, you would have an expectation of losing 21%. And so if you're a firm and you have you know, well, let's, it doesn't matter firm or individual, you would say, okay. And then you put a number on that. So you say at, at $1 million uh, of a portfolio, you have a 95% confidence uh, that you will lose less than $210,000, right? 21% on a million in a given year. And so you would say at a 5% at a probability, you would expect to lose $210,000. Okay. And let's say you did it at the 99% confidence level. That means a 1% probability, right? 
And let's say that number was minus 34%. So you would say 99% of the time, based upon all these historicals, you would expect to lose less than negative 34%. Okay. Now it's important to remember, you know, markets and there's uh, that's sort of a normal distribution and, and without getting too technical on probabilities and things like that, you know, you would say that uh, uh, if, if markets returns are normally distributed, you would just say, okay, well, but we all know that, you know, sometimes one of the tails, I mean, you know, if you look at the, the bell curve and the left side or the right side, the, the left side tail tends to be a little higher. Um, and so some people might argue you can't really do that. But irregardless, I mean, that's, that's essentially value at risk or a VAR. Um, that's, that's what they're talking about. All right. So in the movie, um, there's this, this great scene where they're all standing around. And he says, hey, I figured out what Eric was working on. Eric's the character. Um, I think, you know, he was working with some volatility levels. And so what does that mean? Well, I'll explain in a second how, you know, you might use volatility. But he says uh, Eric's numbers were, were looking at historical patterns. And so basically kind of doing what I was just ex- explaining um, and I think they were doing on, on mortgage-backed securities and, you know, they had leverage, that, which brings in, you know, a different thing. But basically what he said was he took historical patterns and then he stretched them 10 or 15% and moves outside of those levels. And, you know, in the movie, he says the, the losses potentially could be greater than the value of the firm. And so basically what he's saying is the firm had a certain risk assessment and they had some risk assumptions but this guy and then the junior analyst figured it out that actually those are wrong. And in the past couple of weeks, they had actually moved outside the levels. And so, which brings about losses. So I will say, um, okay, so that's, you know, and you think, well, okay, well, you know, the way I explained it with, you know, the 99% confidence and 95% confidence and annualized, you know, just stock market returns, Right. But it's, it's a little bit different than that. Um, and you also have the idea of this, this sort of leverage that comes in. So I'll explain it this way, right? Um, let's say that, uh, um, you know, they're at a 5% probability, you know, a market would be down 21%. And you say, well, you know, okay, you can lose 210000 on on a million dollars. Um, okay. And that's, again, that's based upon just historicals. But what if there is leverage or the leverage is intertwined, like, you know, using credit default swaps and using X times leverage? You know, you think about back to the uh, long-term capital management and they were using levels and you had you know, multi-standard deviation moves, but because of the leverage, kind of wiped them out. So in the way of the movie is, you know, if you, if you moved outside or moved outside some of the expected uh, volatility-based models, and I'll explain volatility in a second, um, you know, the losses magnify and are really, really great. And you might remember during the 2008-2009 crisis period, you saw, you know, credit default swaps or collateralized debt obligations or, you know, swaps on MBS, mortgage-backed securities. You know, a lot of the risk models were all created based upon historicals and what theoretically or historically or what the probability was that losses would be um, – you know, what percentage of bond, uh, you know, mortgages would go bad within the bonds, right? So 
they also talk about volatility. And it's worth noting that, so just, you know, every market that has options, um, that has something called an implied volatility. And implied volatility is just a fancy way of saying, how much does, um, does the options market expect something to go up or down in, let's say, a one standard deviation range? Remember, one standard deviation is 68% of the time. You're within here and here, if you can see my hands on a bell curve. And two standard deviations is, um, you know, how often, um, you know, what would be the range? And remember, one standard deviation is about 68%. Um, and so if you think about where a market is, in theory, it's, um, you have a 13.6 or so probability of being to the left side of the bell curve and a 13.6% probability of being to the right side of the bell curve, right? Because um, 100 minus 68 and then you divide it by two. And then at a two standard deviation, it's like, you know, that's roughly 95% of the time. And so you have a little over 2% chance of being to the left or the right in a, in a normal distribution. And then, you know, of course you get up to uh, three standard deviations, which is, you know, 99.7 to about a hundred percent of the time. So, and markets of course can move outside of those levels, but essentially what you're doing with regards to volatility, um, the options market. So I'll give you an example. If an implied volatility on a market is 10, uh, a one day, one standard deviation move based upon that would be about 0.6%. So six tenths of 1%. And then you double that for two standard deviations, which would be about one and a quarter percent. Um, but if volatility was 25, implied volatility, a one standard deviation move would go from 0.62 to, to 1.57, and a two would be 3.14. It's just you know, another standard deviation from the single. And, and to kind of give you an example, you know, sometimes you see like Tesla or Netflix and um, you know, people talk about, I know it's going to move, I'll, I'll buy the call and the put on it, I'll buy a straddle. Um, but that, those implied moves are, are based in there. And, and I've seen, uh, you know, stocks right before earnings have something like a 300 uh, implied volatility. And basically what that's saying, it's roughly, you know, a 19 rounded, uh, about a 19% uh, expected one standard deviation move up or down and, and about, you know, a 38% two standard deviation move up or down. So basically you take whatever the implied volatility is divided by the square root of 252 which is 15.875. Anyway, I, I just go through that to kind of get back to the movies. They, when they're talking and they're in the, the, the office, and basically what they're saying is they had some volatility adjustments to, to expected moves in the market. And if a market move X percent, um, they figured out what the, the losses would be. And what they're saying is the, the volatility or the value at risk, the VAR models, weren't right. And when the guy, the junior analyst finishes it, he's like, hey, we're already moving outside of these ranges. And uh, if they move more, the losses, as I say, could be more than the value of the firm. And so, you know, think about value at risk. The flaw is a lot of times it's based just upon historicals. And as I said, if you had 100 results, um, you know, but I'll give you an example. Like um, I ran, I think it was Microsoft and I did the average daily return. Um, and it, you know, the value at risk, uh, 95 percentile, uh, would be something like, you know, uh, a minus 2% would be the expected daily return, uh, uh, the, at the 99% confidence it would be minus 3.19%. And, but that's only a year. The more, the more sort of years you have, the, the more data, um, 
the more robust it is. But of course, that has its its own challenges. So the movie, though, what, what it does, it goes beyond the value at risk. And basically, once these guys figure it out, then they got to, you know, go up the chain. They got to start making calls. And uh, Paul Bettany calls his boss, who's Kevin Spacey. I forget the character he plays, who calls, you know, the, the head of the firm, which is, uh, or his boss. And then he calls the head of the firm, who's Jeremy Irons, and comes in. And then they sort of go through the, it's basically, you know, meeting and trying to figure out what to do with this stuff they have in the books. Because they figured out, um, if they don't get rid of this stuff uh, and if they don't get rid of it before everyone else realizes the value should be much lower. So in other words, the the value that they are marking to the market, the value that they put on the assets um, based upon their analysis, they weren't worth what they thought they were. And so what winds up happening is Kevin Spacey's told, Hey, you got to sell this stuff. You got to go ahead and, 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 uh, call up everyone that you know, you got to dump the book, the book meaning all the assets, and you got to figure out, just get rid of it. And there's this big sort of interplay between Jeremy Irons and Kevin Spacey with the idea of, hey, I can get rid of this, but we'll never do business with the the counterparties again, because essentially you're sticking with things that you know aren't valuable. And so um, the one thing, you know, with with the movie, it's sort of... um, you know, unlike The Big Short, and I'll, I'll link to the episode I did around The Big Short and credit default swaps and explaining that. But the idea with um, with The Big Short was they actually went in and they sort of explained, remember they used Anthony Bourdain, they used a couple actresses, singers, to sort of simplify these, these different uh, terms, you know, CDO squared and credit default swap and, you know, all, the, all of that stuff. Uh, Margin Call didn't do that. And it's one of the reasons why I liked um, margin call a lot is they didn't, they just sort of let it happen and they used the terms that they used. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was theoretically based upon one of the investment banks. You know, if you Google it, there's people, uh, some people think it was Goldman, some people think it was Lehman. Um, you know, there's, there's different, or Deutsche Bank, but there's, there's different views on that. Uh, but I think it was just a really well done movie, really well acted. And if you sort of have a little bit of understanding of this idea of like, okay, here's the problem. Uh, we thought the assets are worth this and they're not. And we also thought our risk model would keep us out of, you know, taking X amount of losses and we were wrong. And they start to talk about um, when they figured out the model, it was actually really different. So um, I'd, you know, I, if you haven't watched it, go ahead and, and check it out. It's on uh, uh, it's on HBO. Doing this episode too got me thinking about you know what's some of the best finance or, or investing movies of all time. I, I doubt you know, I think Margin Call is is right there up with it. Um, it's like I said, it's really well done. Um, and I, you know, The Big Short, I actually really like The Big Short as well. I thought it was uh, you know really interesting and. You know, it goes back to Wall Street, Wall Street, um, the second one that they did, um, you know, all good movies. And then, you know, there's the smartest guy and guys in the room, uh, the story about Enron. And that one gets interesting. You know, they they actually get into the whole mark to market and what they would put as a value on assets. And it turns out that some of the assets they were putting a value on 
Uh, I think they they put a a factory or somewhere in India and they based it on future expected profits and brought it back to the present to put a value on on the asset. And it wasn't even done yet. It wasn't even built yet. Um, but that's that's sort of a good movie too. But anyway, let me know uh, uh, if you want me to do episodes on another movie. Uh, let me know what some of your favorite movies are. I appreciate the suggestion to talk a little bit about the value at risk. Hopefully that, you know, makes sense. Um, and hopefully you understand that, you know, the, the simple way I explain it, you know, just having a hundred results and saying, what's the fifth worst? You're like, okay, that's, um, in theory, that's based upon historical. It's a 5% probability, you know, back of the napkin. And you have a 95% uh, confidence level, you'll lose less than that. And then you can also see that if, if someone is using a lot of leverage, uh, you know, even smaller changes uh, could start start to trigger things. And then you get into, you know, the, the name of the movie was Margin Call. And in this case, there, there theoretically wasn't a margin call. Uh, but normally what happens is, you know, if you're using a lot of leverage and you're putting up collateral, well, if you have changes and it causes the value of the assets to go down, what can happen is uh, the firm they're being held at can say, hey, you know, we're going to need more money as collateral. We're going to need you to bring in more collateral to hold these assets. And so, um, it, you know, it might be worth, I think there's a couple of books on uh, long-term capital management. And, you know, they had values at risk and they had some assumptions and, you know, some of the markets moved in ways or got, you know, correlations got broke or they moved, uh, you know, amounts of sigma. So sigma is kind of, if you move two standard deviations, a two sigma event, um, but you move multiple sigmas. Um, the other thing I would tell you too, is that I actually ran, I'll have to do it again. And I went back and I ran, um, I think it was 1928 until, uh, well, I don't know. Um, I think it was through 2017, 2018. I'd have to look uh, but I, you know, I didn't spend too much time of it. But I was just curious. Remember, two thousand eight, the markets were um, down thirty seven percent, and I think the probability of of that happening, again, just uh, treating it as a normal distribution and just, you know, looking back, I think it was less than one percent from memory that uh, was the probability. So, you know, if you were looking at that, you'd be like, okay, I got more than a ninety nine percent probability or a ninety nine over a 99% confidence that I will lose less than 37% in a year. And so if I have a million dollars in the S&P um, and, you know, I, I said, okay, at that confidence level, uh, if, if the markets went down, I would expect to lose about $370,000 at 37%. But of course, if, again, if you're using leverage, it could be magnitudes of that. So um, rather than waste time, you know, rating and review, and go ahead and share this with someone that you, you think might enjoy it. Um, and, Plenty of episodes. This is episode 67, so I'd urge you to go back and listen to the, the prior ones. And by all means, go to RazorWealth.com and hit the contact button. Uh, let me know ideas or topics that you want me to cover or if you just have uh, other questions. All right, folks, we'll talk to you soon.